On a beautiful run through the park on a pleasant day, you can easily get lost. No, no, no! She didn't kill him. Huh? In your true crime podcast. It was the pool guy. So obvious. Whatever motivates you works for us. It's all about letting your run be your run. And Brooks is here for every runner, doing the research and sweating the details to create gear that works for you. It's your run. Brooks, run happy. Joining me for the first time in a long time is my good buddy Cam Sharon. Cam, what's going on, man? I can't believe that it's taken you eight years to have me on this show here, Tim. Yeah, I've been doing the PDO cast since, I guess, I think it was the 2015-16 season. Yeah. And so this is our first appearance. So our yeah. long-time listeners will yeah. remember us from the, from the days of the, uh, the NHL Numbers podcast, Canucks Army podcast. Log friends off, friends with numbers, log off. Log we, off. You know, we experimented with a lot of different variations of the show. Well, uh, I was also a guest on a, on a very deep cut. Uh, so, you, so you're an expert. Mm. Uh, I don't think you, were, you weren't uh, in Toronto for no, that. No, I wasn't. Uh, but that was, my, that was my first show that I was doing back in like 2011. So yeah. certainly uh, paying my dues in the, in the broadcasting. You were industry. what, 11 at the time? I was pretty young, yeah. Yeah, I remember that was the uh, that was the summer of the the Shea Weber offer sheet. That was the big talking point at that point. So oh, yeah. now he doesn't play hockey anymore. So yeah, and a, uh, that contract still has what like four years left on it. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we're recording this. It is. I'm just gonna time it. It's Wednesday, July 20th. I think we're gonna run this a bit later because I'm gonna go on vacation. Okay. And so we're just gonna have a, an off season show that runs. So a lot of our a lot of our conversation is gonna be kind of more like theory based and big picture stuff as opposed to like very niche what happened yesterday in hockey well it's uh we're already dating ourselves by yeah. bringing up shea weber's 12-year offer sheet with the philadelphia flyers <laughs> that's all well something do, do, full you, circle. do you think nashville will match that yeah by the way maybe uh, next week we'll know maybe when this is released we'll know if nashville matched that offer yes sheet. yeah all right so actually i think we should we, we should start talking about um kind of what what we do in terms of watching the games Mm -hmm. because i think that is a perfect entryway into into this podcast for us because that's something you and i um have obviously it's changed quite a bit for us over the years um on a professional level and also it's something that that we've talked about quite a bit behind the scenes in terms of Mm -hmm. refining what we're looking for well we've only really talked about it uh in case my lawyers are listening over the last, what, four weeks? It's true. We had, we had no contact over yeah. the previous eight years before, before yeah. that. So, um, <laughs> but I don't know. Where, 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 where do you want to start with this? Because, well, I think what I would, I think the way I'd start is, um, a tra- we, I, you and I both track games yes. when we when we watch them. Yeah. Um, we're we're taking down <laughs> for fun sometimes. Yeah, sometimes for, mostly for fun. <laughs> uh, taking pretty detailed notes of, um, of of what's happening out there, and that uh, for me that that 
that gives viewers a better understanding of what's happening because you're having to play very, you're having to pay very close attention to what's yeah. going on. So you're going to notice things like, oh, this player is actually pretty slow, or this guy isn't making any plays out there. And it's not necessarily what you're tracking that matters and then being able to add up all the data, but just having something keeping you there, paying close attention. And we used to, you know, I noticed this effect uh, when I used to track scoring chances for Canucks Army and the LeafsNation.com, okay, yeah. where you're paying attention for 60 minutes and stuff is going to happen. And if you're just casually watching, you're with a buddy having a beer, and it's a great time, but um, you're going to miss a lot of, yeah. of the action. So I, so the more, you know, I think the more things you're looking for, uh, the, the kind of the, the the closer you're actually going to be watching the game as well, and you'll appreciate players on a subjective level um, as well as an objective one. Yeah, well, I think it certainly allows you to. Um, it's kind of a two part process, right? Because I think the just paying attention closely and, and following it allows you to pick up on tendencies. But then the fact that you actually also have the data then to look back and be like, mm -hmm. all right, like. Does it support what I feel like I was seeing? Especially yeah. if you have a number of games and not just an isolated game, helps you a lot, and, and it helps you really pick up on stuff. So yeah, well, and you know, if I if I really look back at the numbers from like one game's worth of data, it's always funny. Oh, this this game was actually pretty equal. Um, uh, you know, goaltending. Uh, yeah, <laughs> was the story <laughs> right? It's but yeah, I, I I agree. I think that you get a you get a good. I think you get a good understanding of what happened. You can test it. Um, oh, I noticed this. And then you can, depending on what you're tracking, you can configure that to, uh, you can configure that to, to, to you know, to, uh, man, I'm, uh, by the way, it's also very early. <laughs> it is, it is, it is. We're going to let the, the copy yeah. kick in. No, uh, here's, here's what I'd say. I'd say it's important to recognize like the amount of subjectivity mm -hmm. that goes in it though, because I feel like you and I who have tracked a lot of games, can watch the same play and come away with it, come away from it with a wildly different perspective on what happened or who was responsible or, and ultimately there's a, a frustrating, I find amount of guesswork involved that would mm -hmm. only be satisfied by, I guess, if you were on the coaching staff, because ultimately you're kind of stuck trying to make the best educated guess you can in terms of what the player was trying to do there. Yeah. And I think a lot of guys would probably admit there's a lot of situations where something happens and it might be a good result, but the player wasn't actually trying to necessarily do that. It just, the puck kind of bounced in a good direction for them or, or, or did something they weren't anticipating. Well, well, if it happens a couple hundred times a year, you know, you of course you put yourself in a position yeah. to, to succeed from that. Of course. Yeah. I'm, I'm just speaking purely like, um, you know, whether let's say, you're looking at zone exits or something. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a very strict grader, like a, like defensemen who are purely looking to just exit their zone and just mm -hmm. like fire it, like basically gain the red line and just fire it as hard as they can into the other zone. I almost, like I don't even treat those as, as proper exits, even though they, by the letter of Why? the law, they're left, the, their, left their zone. But they're making the opposition come 200 feet. Well, that that is true, and it is a game of territory, no yeah. doubt about that. Um, but they're Good all stick punt. They're also, yeah, they're just giving away the puck for no reason, especially when it's uncontested. That just yeah. drives me crazy. Yeah, well, I, I'd say I when I track, it's very, very objective. And I've uh, I've recently kind of created my own definitions of the of what I'm going to be uh, of what I've kind of tracked leading up to this, uh, just kind of testing out what I what I can do with 
you know, a Google sheet and three hours worth of time mm -hmm. um, versus uh, I think what was a very uh, rigorous controlled environment. Um, so what I'm seeing though, is that in that situation where you describe where, uh, where a player breaks out of his own, just kind of dumps it in. Yeah. Maybe it's not the ideal play. And he kind of had the exit. He kind of got the exit early. It wasn't necessarily him. It was really the, the opposition backing off. But what we're seeing is because the opposition backed off, uh, the, the team, the, the defenseman's team gained territory, uh, gained territory. And also, well, forced but the, lost possession, lost possession, not necessarily though. Cause like you still can't create a four check. If you're, if a defenseman is rushing up ice and sends the puck in and there's three forwards chasing it, yeah. that's one thing versus a long stretch pass from the goal line to the blue line. Yeah. And then it's redirected in and there's one forward chasing it. True. Like, there's different types of dump-ins that I think some uh, some lead to better uh, a better chance at the opposite or at uh, at the uh, at the attacking team recovering the puck, and those are valuable. And one thing I'd also notice is that uh, you know we're as long as we're talking about deep cuts and we're looking at we're talking about Eric Telsky's Sloan paper from mm -hmm. two, from 2013 about the importance of controlled zone entries, right? Well, I think if you look at uh, sort of the public data, um, and our good buddy Tom Drance has done this, and uh, we've uh, had some recent discussions about this, but if you, it's the, the entry differential. If yeah. one team enters a zone 90 times a game and the other team enters a zone 70 times a game, it doesn't necessarily matter how you're doing it, but the team that has that plus 20 differential, yeah. they're making the other team work a lot more in the defensive zone. They're making them have to make those tough breakout one-touch passes. It's hard to do that. There aren't a lot of defensemen in the league that can do that consistently. Right. So I don't mind a wide-open dump-in now as much as I did eight years ago. Um, there, are, there are times when I would agree that, why are you doing this? The, you know, you have, you have 30 feet of space in front of you. Take it. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's, I think it's also important to remember that, uh, that this, you know, the, the best teams are going to enter the zone with control less than half the time. Uh, if you're counting all the entries, uh, we've already determined that you don't count all of them, that you don't count all well, of them. Well, here's what I, here's what I would say to that. Okay. I completely agree with you that not every dump in is the yeah. same, Yeah. but when we're speaking over a large enough sample, I think it's very instructive in terms of the playing style or the mindset if you, mm -hmm. if you notice a trend that a team just keeps doing that. Yeah. And I think something I've noticed a lot in hockey is that for the NHL being the best league in the world for the sport and just the high level and, and every player now is good. Mm -hmm. Like every player like has a role. There's no one that's just running around trying to punch people for the most part. Like it's guys are good at hockey in the NHL. Okay. If, uh, if Mason Geertsen and Curtis McDermott are listening to this podcast, uh, <laughs> Stanley, sorry. Stanley Cup champion Curtis McDermott. Yeah, we're, uh, we're sorry for erasing you. Yes, uh, from, from history, yes. Um, something that really bugs me is I find um, 
players are, are and, and this might be a coaching thing. Like if, 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 yeah. if, if your coach is telling you to make quote unquote, the simple play, mm-hmm. but a lot of times in my, my opinion, the simple play is actually just passing it off to a, a better teammate who can make a better play. That's usually a good attribute in a defense. It's an amazing attribute. Yeah. So like when you see like a low, like shot volume, uh, for an individual basis from a defenseman, yeah. I'm like, Oh, like I, I'd love to go back and watch the video of this because I imagine there were a lot of times where they probably could have just wildly hammered it from the point, mm-hmm. but instead they either passed it off or waited for something to open up and yeah. got it to a teammate. And that's a very valuable skill. Yeah. And that's something that I've come around on across because when we started blogging and writing about hockey, like it was all just purely like, all right, like shot attempts. Like what's the, what's the highest raw volume? Who's got, who's doing the best at that? All right. Yeah. They must, that means they have the puck a lot. And, and in theory it does, but the game also has gravitated a lot more towards like, being able to maximize your opportunities yeah. and optimize your offense is like a real thing. And being able to do so gives you a leg up on the competition, particularly in a seven game playoff series setting. Um, so I've come around on that a lot more where I, I don't really care about pure, yeah. pure shot attempts or, or shot volume in that yeah. capacity. And I, and I would agree. And I think, uh, I think that that's just goes to show the, how much the game has changed over the last 10 years. And you can talk about entries uh, specifically for that. And I think, I think uh, maybe the casual fan might overestimate just how often someone like Connor McDavid is carrying the puck off the ice. He might be able to wind up, what, three or four times a game and get like yeah. really going with the puck through the neutral yes. zone yeah. if, if he's lucky. And I think those are the situations where, A, if you're the opposition, don't you know, try to shut that down before he's able to wind up, uh, slow him down as much as you can, use your body. But once he gets it, once he gets it, He's he's thinking at a different level than than players were, uh, you know, ten years ago when we were when we were kind of really getting into these numbers. Yeah. And I remember, like, I think I've referenced this on Twitter. Like, I remember the days of David Backus being like a prototypical two way center, right? And that guy, you know, that guy is basically a third liner today. Like the the same type of player. Obviously, David Backus is no longer in the league. Um, yeah, but. But that that type of player uh, doesn't really have that second gear, doesn't have that ability to take advantage of the space that defenders give them, doesn't have the ability to push the defender back and create uh, a good passing lane and a good shooting lane. And those sorts of things that players are doing now, particularly forwards, right. uh, I think really it's really changed, uh, I think, what teams can do in the offensive zone. And a really interesting... Uh, question i think is why have nhl save percentages been falling mm. for the last six years are you doing this is your brian windhorst moment what's going on <laughs> with nhl save percentages? yeah so anyway uh donovan mitchell is going to be the goalie of uh oh damn who doesn't who still doesn't have a goalie these days? uh well it feels like everyone's kind of filled yeah. filled their their main position we'll, we'll find a spot for donovan mitchell but yeah. no i mean i so yes and also the, the gap between actual goals scored and expected goals mm-hmm. is also quite yeah. wide. Yeah. Um, I imagine a fair amount of that is probably just really shoddy tracking data in terms of yeah. where these events are coming from. And it's like yeah. this play that actually was a very, a very high level scoring chance is getting marked down as like a 0.01 expected goal. Event and it's like that. Yeah, right. It's and sometimes it'll. It's it's probably a lot less common now, but it would, used to be very common where, uh, where a 
you know, you, a guy would take a shot from the slot and it was recorded as being from the other side, the complete other side of the ice. Yeah. So 190 feet away instead of two feet away. And, you know, not surprisingly, that makes a huge difference in, uh, in an expected goals value. Um, I think that, that that those mistakes are getting fixed, but a lot of a lot of my criticism with public expected goals models, and I, I'm not like I, I really appreciate those that are doing the research. I think it's incredibly valuable, but I think it's it's cautionary to to not nec- to to probably wait more recent seasons yes. higher. Yeah, well, the game's changed so much. Yeah, the game has changed a lot, um, and yeah, player like players are better shooters. Uh, that has to be taken into account. I think that uh, this was uh, brought up. Uh, uh, I, I, I have to hold this mic, so I can't actually look it up um, and reference, uh, find the tweet referencing it. But someone suggested that uh, that five years ago, every goalie had their own coach. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, we're kind of entering the age of Daryl Belfry and his, uh, you know, skills development and we're seeing his pursuit of ruining goalies lives yeah and and it's worked yes like you know we've seen a we've seen a guy like patrick kane has just this 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 run over the last uh six or seven years i think would have been uh inexplicable you know you you think of someone hitting 30 and they lose a bunch of their skills but kane seems to have just continue to be a very strong playmaker, very strong skater, yeah. makes defenders miss, finds teammates wide open for goals on the other side of the net, and just makes passes, makes pass and makes plays that I don't think we would have expected. Okay, here's a question for you. Yeah. Are you of the belief mm-hmm. that you can go into a game with a plan to get certain types of shots? Because I know there's people... To believe that hockey is too fast and too random and too chaotic and you can't necessarily like it's not like basketball where you can be like all right we're going to drop this pick and roll on the left and try to get it to a yeah. wide open shooter at the at the at the corner yeah um obviously you have certain especially on the power play we see much more where you're like yeah Nikita Kucherov's trying to get it cross seam to Steven Stamkos and yeah. it seems like everything they do is under the yeah. Kind of trying to blow you into a false sense of security until yeah. he can complete that pass, right? Yeah. Like it's it's all a preamble for that. At five one five, obviously, it's much more, much faster, much less controlled. Um, but I'm I've, I was talking about this with Kevin Woodley on the recent podcast. I'm I'm certainly the belief, especially the higher end, more skilled players, mm-hmm. like they map out what they're trying to do, accomplish in the offensive zone much more than we probably give credit for. So I do think you can steer your your shot chart in a certain direction as opposed to just being a random bubble of, of events in the zone. I would, I would agree. I think that the way that the modern athlete processes the game is so far beyond our own comprehension of, of what's going on out there. And you think of the things that you're really good at and a lot of things just kind of happen naturally. Um, I'm not good at anything. So that that's moot, but for someone like Patrick I've Kane. heard people are good at stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So for someone like Patrick Kane or Austin Matthews or Connor McDavid and their their brains are just basically internal computers and they're processing all the information out there. They know they don't they don't just know where their teammates are. They know where all the defenders are mm-hmm. just because well, I'd compare it to like you know, it's going to sound pretty nerdy, but uh, chess grandmasters Wow, it's really early. My alarm just went off. Uh, I'd compare it to chess grandmasters um, 
who know what to do in certain positions because they've seen something very similar before and their brains can just remember, you know, how, how many games, like tens of thousands of games and positions. And I would assume that hockey is very similar because these are guys at, and, and women too, at, at just this very high level who can, who can think that, um, so unfortunately I haven't really seen it in practice. Uh, it's hard. It's, it's really hard to come up with, uh, you know, a comprehensive game plan, um, and see it put in action. Um, because, you know, as we mentioned, someone like Connor McDavid is only going to get three or four chances to wind up. Hmm. Well, what does that mean for the rest of us? If we want to, you know, if we want to drive, uh, with speed down a certain side of the ice and, you know, make the defender spin this way. Well, we have five or six chances to do that. And, you know, say we get one extra shot more than average, more than we otherwise would. Right. You know, can we like, which, which shot, which shot is it? Yeah. (laughs) Which shot is the, is the better one? Um, I think it, I think it's one of those like marginal things that does add up over the course of a season, but it's really tough to see it in practice. And I think, just in general, offensive players are going to find the gaps regardless of whether it's kind of planned for or not. They, they just have this, this, this knowledge. I think I need that. I, I think I need what I'm saying to be the case because yeah. otherwise yeah. our jobs are, yeah. will be very unsatisfying. Yeah. And maybe we should steer towards a different field because yeah. <laughs> I need true. stuff to yeah. I like make sense and also be preordained at least in, in some like planned in some capacity because otherwise you're telling me it's all just oh guys just skating really fast and if something opens up I'll take advantage and it's like there's an element of that for a lot of players in the league yeah but I think every I think you're right like every year at least for the last 10 years I've hit some moment where I'm like well this game's all luck and I'm not <laughs> I don't want to pay too much attention to it because it's not intellectually satisfying and then I'll find something that that brings me back in uh and that kind of keeps me going where the, the, the logic kind of wins out. I think that I've, I've made this point um, a lot, but the, the, the journey is always really weird to get to the end result. But the mm-hmm. end result in hockey, I think, usually makes sense. The better team will win the majority of the time. The better, a good team is going to win the Stanley Cup right. uh, against another good team. You know, we can talk about you know, oh, well, you can't expand the playoff field because then bad teams will have a chance to win. Well, you know, when was the last time a seven or an eight seed really made noise in the playoffs? That wasn't like already good going in and we knew it. Mm. Like, you know, and well, that, you know, that brings us back to uh, to my point about teams that are good at dumping it in and the 2012 and 2014 Los Angeles Kings. Right. That's sort of that volume entry yes. sort of style, which... You know, that's a, it's a different type of game than it is today, but uh, Daryl Sutter showed with the Flames that that kind of style still can work. I think, you need, you know, you do need a few game, dynamic game breakers who can yeah. do other things, but just having nine forwards that can just come at you in waves and always have the puck in the neutral zone and win battles in all three zones, yeah, it still works. It's, you know, never... Play the hits. Never yeah. the classics. No, that, that, yeah, that, that's, there's certainly a truth to that. Um, all right. Anything else on, while we're here, anything else on tracking, anything else on 
player types, anything else on, on, on your own journey in terms of well, stuff we you've would, come to value more? Well, we would, uh, we, we kept, well, I was going to discuss this with you mm. and, uh, I think we decided to save it for the podcast. So we're not really prepared for this, okay. but what do you track when you are watching a game? Oh, that's, that's a great question. Well, okay. So I'm, I think as people are listening to this, I will have probably already released my playoff tracking data on EP Ringside, which you'll be able to read about. But I'm much more interested um, in tracking the contributions of defensemen because I find the data that we currently have publicly available on them to be so not unsatisfactory because I do think it gives you a good representation of like who's good and who's not, but it doesn't give you any insight into that journey like like you get the end result of okay this guy's on the ISS teams outscoring the opposition he must be doing good stuff well yeah. i'm very interested from my perspective of what is that good stuff i i don't know if i would necessarily agree with that though i think that there are quite a few defensemen that their good results are can be pretty much explained by getting to play sheltered competition, getting a lot of offensive zone starts. I think that happens more with defensemen than it does with forwards. Of course. But yeah, like I think, you know, when you, if you're talking about a top pairing or a second pair guy, I yeah. think you're correct. I think that, you know, no one is going to have a 55% Corsi four percentage. I think of how we, how, how, how do we say that these days? Yeah. Like, just 55% shot share or whatever. Okay. Yeah. That means something different to me. Wow. But, um, but yeah, uh, I think for for the most part, someone someone fifty five percent playing top four minutes probably pretty good. Uh, if they're a third pairing guy, you know, I think it means they're playing for a pretty good team with a lot of good forwards. Um, Certainly, yeah. But but which which means that you can use the micro statistics to kind of well, track their their overall contributions. Yeah, and and and, and I would also say that you know. A place where you can get into trouble, of course, is if you're another team and you're just purely looking at that player's results and then being like, well, I'm going to go and acquire them this offseason and then play them in an entirely different role. And then when they have their wildly different results, be like, I don't know what happened here. Like, of course, that's where you can get into trouble. But in terms of purely evaluating what that player is doing in the moment for the current team they're on, Mm -hmm. I do find tracking whether it's their zone exits or their zone entry defense to be, to be quite valuable. Um, I think another, like the, they're two wildly separate components though. Mm-hmm. Like I do find that I don't love zone exits as much as I did when I first started tracking it. Cause I think it's much more circumstance oriented. Like if there's space, mm-hmm. take it. Yeah. And there's very few defensemen in today's game that can like, routinely absorb a four checker and like make them miss and make a creative play to get out of the zone. Yeah. It's very rudimentary. Otherwise, um, it, it certainly ties into offensive results, but for me, like defending the blue line and defending against zone entries is one of my favorite metrics to look yeah. at actually. Cause I think it tells you like I was looking at, I was putting it up, putting all the data together for the playoffs. And certainly there's something to be said about like, finding data that kind of refutes your pre-existing ideas because yeah. it makes you think about what either what you got wrong or what the data is telling you. But in this case, it's like, oh, yeah, that player has good defensive results and is generally thought of pretty highly, and they're also really good at defending against zone entries. Mm-hmm. It's cool to see 
kind of why those two things are tied together. Yeah, and um, I, as I mentioned with with uh, with zone exits, uh, I think it's important to to be able to link those with with the entries. Hmm. So it's a player that exits a team that's exiting the the defensive zone with control. You know, you'll notice this if you watch a hundred games or even fewer. You notice if you watch it ten games. If you carry the puck out or pass the puck out, your your team is getting the next entry almost all the time, mm-hmm. um, and that 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 basically eats up thirty forty seconds of the other team. If yep. you're able to enter the zone, if you're able to exit the zone against another team's top line, you've basically done your job. I think one of the issues, and I think that you've kind of highlighted this, and just kind of the different skill sets for defensemen, mm. is that you could ask thirty two NHL coaches. Or however many there are right now. Yeah. It might be less than 32. Yeah, I, I think really they're too yeah. closely. Yeah. I don't think uh, the Sharks have a coach at the moment. Yeah. Um, so you get 32 different a- answers for what a defenseman is there to do. And I think it's easy for, for us sitting on the outside saying, oh, well, a defenseman's job is just like any of the other players. You want to maximize the chance of scoring and minimize the chance of allowing a goal against. But there are certain times and game situations where preventing a goal against is much more important than scoring a goal for. Hmm. So it becomes more about uh, not just entry defending, but also in-zone defending, and less about bringing the puck out with control and just sometimes just whipping it glass and out is is okay. If you're defending a two-goal lead with five minutes to go, yeah. you're just kind of hanging on. Um, you know, Rather than take that risk of carrying the puck up the middle, it's it's good to get it out i'm not saying that you do that when you're trailing yeah um as we often see but yeah and one of the things uh that i think makes kale makar so valuable and one of the reasons he won the con smythe trophy is he's not just elite at moving the puck he's so elite at defending in transition at top speed poke checking yeah following those offensive players and so you might not even see that in the zone entry numbers against but you'll certainly see it if you're if you're watching four zone entries and notice what's happening immediately after in the two to three seconds. Well, see, yeah, I think tying the coaching part of the equation into this is is important. I fundamentally disagree with the approach for a lot of these situations, though. Is what I guess I'm yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm getting at. Yeah, like. Yes, there's certain situations where I understand it's better to play conservatively because you're basically just trying to kill clock. But for the most part, how many of the potential upcoming problems could be totally erased Mm -hmm. if you had just proactively pinched a bit more... And and try to kind of cut off like if you're a defensive defenseman, Mm -hmm. right? And you and you're in the offensive zone during a shift. Yeah. Just sagging back and then allowing the other team to carry it in against you with speed because you want to pack the middle and sort of not give them a clear path towards your goalie. Yeah. You're you're already shooting yourself in the foot because if you had stepped up in the offensive zone fifteen seconds prior, yeah. they might have never even gone you're, there. You're already negating your own strength essentially. Yeah. Because you're not forcing the def- you're not forcing the attacker to make a play around you. No. And that happens so much yeah. in the NHL. Yeah, I agree. I, I think and it's just frustrating. Yeah. And it's obviously it. The other team is also trying to win, so it's not like yeah, it's hard. But I don't know. I find the strategy sometimes to be lacking in that regard, and I wonder. A lot of these players are physically capable of playing that way, and if their coaches 
empowered and enabled them to do so, I, I think we'd probably get different different strategies and different results. Yeah, there's, uh, you know, I've, I, you know, I, I'm just wondering how much I can say about this, but yeah, different. Well, no one listens to the show, so okay, that's good. I think you're fine. I, but yeah, like differences in, like, we've seen coaching differences may pay a meet, like, make immediate changes in, in base, in zone exit schemes. Of course. Um, you know, exiting up the middle as opposed to going up the wall. Yep. Um, I think, uh, you know, we saw, well, even, uh, even certain coaches can change that system as well. Like I remember when Mike Sullivan first, uh, became the coach for the Penguins, mm-hmm. they played a very, uh, what's, what's the, Durant's calls it punt and hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were just like sending the puck in the, in the neutral zone and using their speed to, to get onto it. And now that most of their guys are, uh, not what I would call fast, yeah. uh, a little longer in the tooth. Uh, they're a lot more, I think I find they're a lot more methodical in their breakout. And I think they're, they, despite not winning cups anymore, I think that they're a, I think that they're a better team there. It feels like they're a more formidable opponent. Well, tougher to stop. Like, and this is why I, I do believe that I, I think there's a lot of coaches in today's game that are interchangeable for the most part in terms of, I don't think they're very meaningfully changing their team's results for better or for worse. Yeah. Um, None of the ones that listen to this show, though, right? Um, well, you know, uh, I'll just point out that Jared Bednar and John Cooper both follow me on Twitter, and, and, and <laughs> they, had a, they had a fair fair bit of success this season, so I don't know, I'm just, <laughs> just putting that out there. Um, I do think that, like, Mike Sullivan, that's a great example, because I remember the year he came in and took over. Mm. They had really bad results at the start of the year, mm-hmm. and I went back and watched all those games at the time, and it was remarkable how limiting their strategy was it was basically like every time anything good happened it was because Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin went yeah. as far back in their defensive zone as they could got the puck lugged it up the ice yeah. made a couple of people miss and eventually got it for a scoring chance to a teammate yeah. and it's like those guys are great players but having at, like that being your barrier to a successful shift is really hard to sustain over the course of a game over the course of a season yeah. and then Mike Sullivan came in and you're right he was basically like all right, we're just going to play really fast by just going and getting the puck as opposed to having our star players have it to do it the full 200 feet, basically. Yeah. And that changed things dramatically for them, as we know. And I lo- so I, I love, I love that, that kind of strategic component of a coach coming in and recognizing the personnel he has. Because look at the success their defensemen have had in terms of the names they've had and they brought in. We were talking about this recently with Mike Matheson after he got traded for Jeff Petrie. Yeah. And he was actually far better in Pittsburgh than I thought he was going to be based on watching mm-hmm. him in Florida. Yeah. And I'm very curious to see what he looks like next year in Montreal because he clearly has the physical skill set. Yeah. But he was also coming from a place that is like catered to making defensemen look good by making their like, if you think of it as a quarterback, they're like, or they're like routery in terms of the things they have to do <laughs> yeah. is so minimal offensively. Well, there's a and lot that was used as a negative against John Marino yeah. when he got traded as well, because people were like, Oh, he's kind of stagnated. Like he hasn't really developed offensively the way we thought. And it's like, well, most of their defensemen other than Latang, like yeah. have a very minimal checklist of things they need to do. And they wind up being better for it. Yeah. And I think, um, I think this is a situation where, you know, I don't have the data to, to, to show this, but where I've we're having tracked both players, I prefer Marino to Matheson. Uh, I think that he, I think he's just able to do a lot more with the puck uh, when he's under pressure. I feel like he makes a calmer play. 
you know, these are like, it's, but it, you're right. It's very difficult because a lot of these are system effects and yes. I've seen, you know, and a lot of my judgment is clouded by seeing Matheson just wind the puck up and rim it around in Florida for a whole bunch of games. Yeah. He was, the, he played differently than that, especially yeah. like in the playoffs last year when yeah. Dublin went out, he was playing top pairing yeah. with Latang and, and looked quite good in that role. And, mm-hmm. and he's a, yeah beautiful skater yeah um i do think like I, I like marino more as a player just because i think that the things that he does defensively are much tougher to find and uh so i thought i thought that was a great get for new jersey but yeah i, I certainly think like knowing your personnel and then being able to to play a system or a style that gets the most out of them and makes sense for those players is really valuable which is why you can't you can't be so rigorous as a coach because your team might change dramatically if you if you switch teams or in an off season where all of a sudden you have a lot of turnover yeah. and so if you're just like all right everyone needs to play a certain way that might work for you one year but if that's all you got yeah it's going to be tough to have sustained success oh well, another good example of that uh, would be a defenseman that you've talked up about uh cody cc mm. who you know in ottawa i think that just the way that they kind Wait, of are, act- you, are you taking a cody cc victory lap right now <laughs> Uh, well, I, I wasn't with the Oilers last year, so no. <laughs> That's true. But, you know, CC in Ottawa, I think just the way that, uh, that the Sens played, where they really activated the left, their left defense, yeah. kind of let their right defender hang back. I don't know if that was a system that really worked for Cody CC, who was like, too oftentimes stuck kind of defending miniature two-on-ones and three-on-twos just based on how aggressive they were on the other side of the ice. Yeah. So, and I... I think I think it would be interesting to go back and uh, and look and see how like wh- whether he had any sort of micro statistics that would that would show that he's he's a useful player in the right system. And I think that uh, you know he's played for three different teams over the last three years. I don't think he's been a bad defenseman in any one of. Them. I think and Pittsburgh of course one of those teams. Uh, he's he's gone from being a forty five percent Corsi player basically to being above fifty and top four minutes yeah which is pretty much what you can you know what you can ask for especially someone who's who kind of came with that really low of a reputation um well he and he was excellent for edmonton yeah especially in the postseason like legitimately good yeah he's he still has no puck skills he did score a big goal in game seven against the kings yeah um which i think might have wound up being the the series clinching goal yeah but I think I wonder how much of it is because I used to make fun of him quite a bit in in, in Ottawa certainly, and uh, and he's had some famous moments where he had the puck on his stick and and, and did comical stuff. He had one famous moment. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a good one though. It was one of my favorite um, unintentionally comedic moments in the NHL. But yeah, that was leading up to Kasperi Kapanen's overtime winner. It was yeah. Who can who can forget the moment yeah. like that? But here's the thing, I think because of where he was drafted. And because of what he was thought of at the time, yeah. he was totally miscast. Yeah. Because really, he is like whatever today's version of a pure defensive defenseman is. And he's good at it. But if you draft him really high and you have these expectations coming out of junior of what he's going to be, and then he just doesn't have the capability to do any of that stuff, I think that's where like the perception kind of fell off and 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 yeah. it was it was self-inflicted like he didn't play well in ottawa regardless yeah. of what you think about the circumstances or whatnot and and he's done an awesome job since so yeah i and i think also two things that i think you and i would agree with one you, your opinions should be changing on players based on 
new information presenting itself. All too often I see that we make up our mind on a player and, and regardless of what happens, it could be a take that's outdated for three or four years, one, but we just stick with it. One might say new information has come to light. <laughs> yes. Two, um, I think it's okay to admit when we don't know stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think we'd be much better off for it if, if, if that was a more commonly held <laughs> take. Like I, 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 oftentimes, like someone asks me about a player and they're like, what do you think about this guy? And I'm like, this is going to be very not unsatisfying for you, but I don't know. Yeah. Because they've played seven games in the NHL and they've been like being called up and down from the AHL and yeah. I don't watch them down there. And so yeah. I could, I guess, pull up their natural statric page and tell you about how they perform in those like eight games, but that might not be representative of the player they're going to be. And so mm-hmm. and, the, and then the person's probably thinking like, man, like you're, you're a paid hockey journalist and that's your take on this guy. Like I expected you to know more. And it's like, well, you can, there's so many players in the game. You cannot know everything about everyone. Yeah. You, you know, you need to avoid kind of that day job at the take factory from time to time. So I think, you know, we were, I don't really know why I watched the NHL entry draft. All I know is I did have the one take that if you have the first overall pick, you should draft the guy that has been kind of earmarked as the first overall pick for a few years, for a couple of years. Other than that, I didn't like, I don't really have, I don't well, really have any reason does, to. Does that not go against new information presenting itself? Not that that necessarily applies in this case. I'm just saying purely yeah. as a, as a thought. No, 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 well. fair, fair enough. Um, but yeah, you know, beyond that, I didn't really have, like, I don't know, I don't really know what, what Uri Slavkovsky brings to the table. I don't really know what, what Simon Nemec or Logan Cooley or Cutter Gauthier, you know, people that I follow and generally trust on prospects seem to like uh, what Columbus did. Yeah. And so I think a lot of my opinions being made of that, but these guys are wrong as much as I am, uh, or even more so. Yeah. And I'm, I'm right not a lot very infrequent well yeah well i would say like you know right relative to the rest of the field when you can't be right on something where everyone agrees yeah um but you can you can once once you go rogue and you make and you have a take um that that's kind of contrary to the rest of the field then that's when that's when i really start to pay attention to uh to the results of that and in those situations i think information does change you know, well, I was wrong, but based on what I knew at the time, yada, yeah. yada. Um, or when I'm right, it's, well, of course I was. Like, you know, this is what we knew at the time. That's what we know going forward. Yeah. Like, you know, is Matthew Kachuk going to score three and a half points per 60 next season? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Is that going to change people's perception of him in Calgary or wherever he's playing? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But, you know, be, but yeah, I think it's very like we've touched on it. This is kind of a simple game. You have it's fast moving, but you have six players moving the puck one way and six players moving the puck the other way. Some yeah. of them are better than the others. And it's it's very simple. And OK, now it repeats on, a lot. I got to cut you off there. OK, so you said six players, which yeah. implies that you think the goalie should also be moving the puck up the ice. Yeah. Well, yeah, this, this is also something we, we've we've talked about. Is this going to be a, is this going to be, are we going to start a 55 minute long discussion on goalies? I, well, I, I don't have 55 minutes worth of content okay. about goalies. Um, 
I, th- I might have 55 seconds because tying into our, to what we just said about yeah. acknowledging when you don't know, yeah. I will, I will plead that yeah. for a lot of goalies. Yeah. Something I do feel very strongly about is goalie, but is, is the value, is the value of goalies playing the puck, especially with the purpose of trying to be the guy who exits the zone mm-hmm. and play hero ball, Mike Smith style <laughs> is wildly overrated. And the risk versus reward of breaking a forecheck three times as opposed to giving it away to one of those guys and it being an empty netter for them yeah. is, is so skewed towards the risk aspect of it that it just, it's not worth it. Yeah. Well, I would, uh, yeah. So, you know, we talked earlier about defense, a good trait in a defenseman is knowing who the best players are. Yeah. Set the puck up to, to, to your best to a skater, someone yeah. that holds someone their stick the right to, way. to handle the puck yeah. and move it up the ice, yeah. Yeah, I think I, I, I agree with that for sure. Um, I think that there are certainly defensemen that are better at setting the table. And that, there are some times when it's good to send the puck down the ice. Um, I know Andre Vasilevsky loves doing that uh, when Tampa Bay's on the power play. Hmm. Puck gets cleared. Penalty killers are changing. And just kind of out of the corner of the screen, like... The broadcast is cut away to watching someone who that just blocked a shot go off the ice, and all of a sudden it cuts back to the center ice camera because Vasilevsky's come out. Yeah, and I, I think he picks his spots really well. Uh, I don't think that Mike Smith did or does. Is Mike Smith? Does Mike Smith have a contract these days? He has one more year left, but I believe he will not be playing next season. So uh, I, you know what? I'm not closing the door on his playing career yeah. because it would be yeah. very Mike Smith if he came back. But I think we can both agree that that there would be the game would be far more entertaining if you remove the trapezoid because you want to encourage goalies to play the puck because it leads to more scoring, not for, not for the defending team. Like you're right in that, uh, you know, the, the risk reward of, of a, a 30 foot pass as opposed to a two foot pass (laughs) where you're just setting the table for someone. It, it might get you another chance to shoot the puck in to the other team's zone. Yeah. But it's probably not doing more than that. Yeah, but boy, it looks cool when it's completed. It really doesn't. It, it looks like a normal pass. <laughs> True. No, that, that one breakout pass he had um, against the Sharks, I believe, in the regular season when he set up a breakaway for the OT winner was, was cool. But, okay, but that's overtime. That's barely I hockey. Know. It's true. That is true. Um, all right. We've done about 45 minutes or so here. Okay. Do, you, do we have any, any other stuff that, um, that we should talk about here as we... As we wind down, this is the first of many shows we're going to do together, so we don't we don't have to cover every topic. Well, I haven't. Uh, well, uh, yeah, I haven't. Ex- I haven't signed a, an ex- uh, an extension here. We'll so we'll have to see what the viewership numbers are. Here. Yeah, viewership. Yeah, I don't think anyone's watching this right now. Uh, well, listenership might be, might be yeah. decent, but viewership is same as our listenership from ten years ago. Recognized employees with Custom Inc. Show customer appreciation with Custom Inc. Outfit your teams with Custom Inc. Easily add your logo to your favorite products and brands at customink.com. Make Custom Inc. your custom gear partner with great customer service, quality products, and all-in pricing, along with personalized help when you need it and an easy-to-use website when you don't. All backed by a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Do it all today at customink.com. Champions aren't born, they're made. And the secret to make your business reign supreme? Shopify the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Forget the off-season work. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling warm-ups or wall hangers, 
It's time to start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build the relationships that create die-hard fans. Shopify fields all the sales channels to grow a winning business from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. Shopify is a secret to becoming a business champion by making it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere, taking the guesswork out of selling. When you're ready to take your winning idea to the world, team up with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash bluewire, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash bluewire to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash bluewire. Um, what about like, what about uh, passes prior to shots? Mm. I know that you've sometimes touched, talked about oh, those. Oh yeah. Well, my, uh, the other thing that I track this post mm-hmm. is the shot assist. Yes. Yeah. Um, also another thing I'm very stingy on because I don't, I don't count D to D passes that wind up in weak point shots as a shot assist, because I don't think that should have been a shot. Yes. It's so, a shot. If the shot went in, would you credit the player with an assist? No. You know what? I think we need to eradicate it. I think, <laughs> I think the sport would be significantly better off if defensemen were not allowed to shoot. Um, so I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't count that, but I do think it is incredibly valuable. And also I think it's very, you know, sp- making that comment about, um, what is an assist or not. It's, I think generally the assist leaders correlate pretty well with who the best playmakers were yeah. that season. Yeah. But it is still weird to me that you get credit for it, but only if the guy you pass to actually scores, otherwise it wasn't a good pass. Yeah, so I, like, so I treat a setup pass the same way that basketball scorers would treat an assist in basketball, where it needs to be kind of direct, leading to an opportunity that, that they wouldn't otherwise, that the, uh, the attacking team wouldn't otherwise get. Yeah. Um, or just really in, increases the value of, of the play. So, you know, even something as simple as a 2 on 0 right down near the goal line, moving that puck across the crease is going to up your odds of scoring by. I don't know. X percent. It's by, yeah, at least like double or triple. Right. Like, and that's different than, of course, the D to D pass, uh, where all you're doing is just kind of blasting it away or, or you get it to a guy in a bad spot and the defending team quickly corners you and you just kind of let one go. Uh, that, that happens quite often in a game, uh, yeah. much to my chagrin. It's, uh, it's annoying. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, we, we talk about we talked about how defensemen um, it's it's important to try and to measure their contributions through micro statistics or to to have a better understanding of what they can do because the stats that we have for forwards are generally pretty good goals and assists they you know they were invented a hundred years ago now yeah they line up pretty well with which players are uh, are doing things properly in the attacking zone which players have the puck on their stick which players are contributing to offense. And even though I know the second assist has gone out of fashion, yeah. but I think, you know, even if it doesn't directly lead to a shot, that second assist is very frequently an entry or a good zone exit um, or some play in the neutral zone or the offensive zone where you're getting away from, where you're getting away from some defender. Sometimes it isn't, but generally 
the proximity to good plays is a good thing. Yeah. And I think it would be interesting if we were able to track tertiary assists or, uh, or even go beyond that. Well, you and I were big St. Louis Blues guys yeah. this past season. Yeah. They were 26th mm-hmm. in shot attempt break. Yeah. Shot attempts per 16, yeah. all situations. Yeah. They were 18th in shots on goal. Is this uh, what, where, what website? I'm just using natural stature. But okay. I, I just, I like, I like to credit the, uh, the source. 26 and yeah. all right, all right, relax. Yeah. All right. Wow. <laughs> cool brag. Okay. 26 in, sh- in shot attempts, 18th in yeah. shots on goal, 15th in expected goals. Yeah. Third in actual goals. Yeah. And that was not by accident. Now they might play the same way and not score the third most goals next season, mm-hmm. but they were doing pretty much exactly off- offensively. Yeah. I have a lot of issues with their defensive personnel offensively their game plan was when we this is why we're broadcasting professionals tying it all back to our earlier discussion Mm -hmm. about planning out what you want to accomplish Mm -hmm. you can't tell me that's not a thing because i watched st louis blues play hockey in the offensive zone this season and they were very clearly going into it with a plan of all right we're going to try to get the puck to two or three areas and we're not gonna take bad shots just for the sake of the crowd yelling shoot and so we're yeah. gonna do it don't and shoot unless you can see 70 percent of the net they had basically. awesome results yeah and they had fantastic personnel like yeah. their forward group was remarkable yeah um but i would love to teams to watch that and be like oh mm-hmm. that's something we can do because i do think yeah that's an, an, an approach thing as much as if it is a talent thing yeah and that's uh you know that's that's one of the uh that's one of the drawbacks of public expected goals figures um, is you, there's no way to, there's no way that we can properly quantify those paths, those passes without actually physically tracking them. Um, and they, it really does increase the chances of scoring. We, we know this, we've seen the research from Stephen Valakat um, talking about what, you know, talking about uh, passes that go across the ice, yeah. um, and then, and then there's then there's even more of that where it's passes that uh, that that make the goalie look from behind the goal line to in front of the goal yeah. line. So those behind the net plays, uh, you know, we're in Vancouver, so that Sedine uh, slap pass tip, mm. those are very good shot. Those are tough to read as a goalie. Not only tough to read as a goalie, but also it's difficult for the defend for the defenders to close in and take away the space if a if a pass happens really quickly and the, and the attacker is able to get a shot away immediately, there's more chance that the shooter is going to have space to actually aim the shot. Well, I also, I also think uh, I would imagine, I haven't looked at this, it would mm. probably lead to a higher rate of rebounds as well, just because mm. like, yeah, it, it feels like seeing those plays, the goalie rarely ever, even when they do yeah. stop it, like cleanly corrals the puck. It usually feels like they're like kind of wildly scrambling to try and just get in front of it and then yeah. they like knock it down but it's still loose around the crease for a rebound yeah and i think rebounds are also very important offensively so yeah and yeah and and, and i think it i think it is uh i just want to reiterate the importance of of not like looking at every shot as being necessarily against the goalie but it's also against the defenders um you want uh you need you know, you, you need to have that space. You need to have that time in the attacking zone. You need to be able to aim the shot. And the, the, so the, the goalie, yeah, it's, it's interesting how we look at expected goals as being like you know, basing that on, on 
on goal on goalie success and not necessarily uh, defensive team success. Right. So you know, we look at a like you look at a team like Carolina. Where are they in expected goals games? Well, we yeah. This is this is a big PDO cast topic this season. Yeah. Thank you, for, thank you for listening. Yeah. Um, yeah, they were they were like middle of the pack, especially at, at five on five. I believe like their yeah. penalty kill was was yeah. so historically great that it actually yeah. dragged. It made their expected goals all situations yeah. better, but their five on five defensive yeah. metrics were were not nearly um, lining up closely enough with our perception of how good they are defensively yeah. or like what you'd watch them give up. Yeah, and so yeah, I think there's something in in play with that as well. Like yeah. our yeah, our, our ability to measure defensive play is is is, is pretty poor. But yeah. I do think you know we, we talk about how the best the, like. A great defensive play is one that never allowed an offensive play to even happen in the first place. Yeah. But that kind of goes both ways, too, because I think a team like the Blues, so if you're game planning against them, you know that, all right, well, they're going to be, like, very uh, relentlessly trying to pass across seam and, and, and trying to make these plays happen. That has to, as a goalie or as an opposing defense – seep into your mind when you're playing them and that probably also makes any original shots they do take better because you're almost like you're bracing yourself for the next pass you're not actually committing yourself as fully to the shot as you might have against another team now if you're just treating it as a robot maybe you're playing these games and you're not actually thinking that way and you're just defending it straight up the way you otherwise would and maybe that's why they were so good offensively because teams weren't recalibrating properly for them so who knows yeah well and and now well you know, we talk about uh, our teams able to plan out what they do. Are the Blues doing that specifically against a different opponent? Do they specifically do something against the Wild that they didn't do against the Avalanche? Uh, I think they tried to do that against the Avalanche. Yeah, they just, just weren't. Just, it's harder to do. <laughs> didn't have the puck as much. Although, yeah. I they, mean, they yeah. gave them a pretty good test. Yeah, they, so. they, they were in that series. And they gave, like, they, it was definitely was a much better test than they gave them uh, previously. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um well, I'm gonna I'm not gonna ask you to plug some stuff, although you I'll let you plug your Twitter account, I guess, because you're 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 back giving takes on I've logged on on the Twitter sphere. Yeah. How do how do you get the blue check mark? I feel like I should get the blue check mark. All my friends. <laughs> you know what? I think if you keep sending out good takes, yeah. I think uh, I think the blue check mark will come, but okay. don't worry about it. Um where, just, where can people follow you? Uh, Cam Sharon Y V R. I like it. Um, my old handle, Cam Sharon, was uh was taken. What about Sham Sharon? Shamsharon was actually what about never affiliated with me. That was what, never something I did. What about? Well, that was I was calling you that. What about the artist formerly known as Shamsharon? Uh, a bit, a bit, a bit. It doesn't really roll off the tongue in terms well, of Twitter handle. I think you also get a fifteen character max when you're when you're yeah. coming up with the handle. But if you if you just you know, if you just Google Google me, me. if you Google me, find me on the Google. Mm. Uh, my Twitter page will will pop up. Um, I have decent takes from time to time. I'm trying to. What I try to do is generally, um, I really only wait in if, uh, if I'm kind of disagreeing with the prevailing wisdom, and I think I have a little, something to add to the discussion. Um, and, uh, You're going to quickly learn that like, you should save your thoughtful takes for Twitter or for, uh, for the podcast, yeah. and then just 
and then just don't tweet. Don't tweet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, once I log back on, they tell me to log off. (laughs) All right, man. Well, this was a blast. I'm glad we got to do this. Uh, It was eight years in the making, and and we're going to certainly have you back on again soon. I'm looking forward to yeah. Once the once the season starts back up in the fall, we'll have a lot of. uh, yeah, fun plans and 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 we've been work we've been workshopping some stuff that I think people will be excited about. Yeah, I think it's a yeah, it's 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 easier to talk about these things when you're actually like looking at a you know watching a game or having something to reference that's fresh in people's minds. Yeah, um, I think we we were well, we were gonna do a Stanley Cup final. Yeah, recap. Yeah, but then it just didn't come together. Yeah. I know I got busy or you got busy. Yeah, that's a side summertime. I mean, that's why, yeah, hockey should not be being played in late. Oh, yeah, that's the other thing I want to plug, by the way. Uh, If you're in the Vancouver area, uh, you know, you can come out to Sunrise Park and watch uh, the East Van Baseball League. Uh, We're we're currently preparing my team, the Little Mountain Blasters. We're preparing for a game against the Sunrise Cosmos. That game will have taken place by the time. (laughs) Okay, uh, well, yeah, this is a great, great, great spot for us to end the (laughs) podcast. Cam, this is a blast. We'll chat soon. Yeah. All right, that is going to be it for today's episode of the Hockey PDO Cast, and that is also going to mark the uh, the official end of the 2021-2022 season here on this feed. So uh, the plan is to take August off to try and uh, enjoy the summer a little bit, get out on the sun, uh, recharge the batteries, and, and get ready for, uh, for another fun season of shows. So we'll be back in September with the usual preview content to help get you ready for uh, for next season. So... Before I do sign out here, um, I just quickly wanted to to thank everyone for listening to the show this year, for supporting it, for uh, for all the positive feedback, and for everyone that, that, that keeps coming along for the ride with us. Without you uh, doing so, it would basically be just me incoherently rambling about hockey to myself, and, and that seems significantly less appealing. So um, thank you for, for helping you know enable this show and empower it and, and allow it to to keep functioning the way it has. I think this was the sixth NHL season that we've been doing this show for. Um, you know, we are, we just passed 450 episodes total. It's, it's kind of surreal to think about, um, you know, how long it's been running, how many shows we've done, just how much time we've spent here cumulatively talking about hockey and and the fact that so many of you keep listening and, and keep, uh, keep supporting us, just means the world to me and uh and i'm forever grateful so thank you for all that you do and and for for continuing to uh to do so um if you if you want to help us out you can definitely um go keep rating and reviewing the show if you haven't done so wherever you wherever you listen to it um a ton of you have done so already and it's it's really cool always seeing the the feedback on there seeing some of the uh the inside jokes that you share um in the reviews so Thank you for doing that. Um, thank you for listening to us. We will be back in a couple weeks. Uh, so enjoy the rest of your summer. And uh, with that all being said, we're going to roll the outro music here and, uh, and we'll all chat soon. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast. Thank you.